Hello, this is Scott Jens. Welcome to Sandbox Stories. Hello, welcome to the Sandbox Story, which is an interview with Dr. Nikki Irvani. Nikki is the creator of a technology app called iExam, and as an optometrist, I think you're really going to enjoy her stories and her progressive thinking about the optometry profession. Welcome to Sandbox Stories, Dr. Irvani. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for the opportunity and for the invitation to join you. Definitely looking forward to this discussion. I am too. We've been friends for a long time, but this is really fun because I think we're going to get to know a little bit more about you than even I know. And I'd like to start with your early life. You were born in Iran and you moved to the U.S. at the start of the revolution there. What were your memories of that? And tell us how things came to settle in the U.S. Goodness, that takes me back. Actually, it's funny because I just got goosebumps all over me, <laughs> taking uh, me back to the rough years uh, back then. So, yes, I was born in Tehran, and um, my dad um, was accepted to Stanford University when I was quite young. And we actually, prior to the revolution, we actually moved to Palo Alto, to Northern California, while my dad was going to Stanford University, getting his um, master's in engineering. And... Um, Life was different back then. Um, there was no revolution and there was talk of oil and wealth and the Shah and uh, uh, royalty, basically. So I kind of um, grew up a little bit in the U.S., exposed to that type of uh, um welcoming, I guess. Wow, you're from Iran. Shah, money, oil, and royalty. Yeah. And then uh, my dad's education finished. We went back to Iran, and um, unfortunately, the revolution happened. We, I was going to a British high school, or a British middle school, actually, and um, all the teachers were sent back home, back to England, and schools were shut down, and my dad um, got a job offer from a very reputable engineering firm in Newport Beach, California. And so he immediately packed up the family. We wanted to have nothing to do with that regime. And we immediately moved to the U.S. This time, as an adolescent, my experience was quite different. Um, being from Tehran was no longer, wow, Shah, oil, wealth, money, <laughs> and all of that. It was boo, and uh, it was horrible. Uh, being an adolescent, you have a lot of your own internal issues going on and feeling that you don't fit in uh, anyway, uh, even if you speak the language and even if you are from that culture and your parents are um, financially doing well, you feel that you're kind of not fitting in many times in junior high and early high school years. Now, immigrating to a um, country in that time, um, in that era was like, like I said, I still get goosebumps every time I talk about this because it brings back really tough memories of that time. Um, 
uh, football players in high school would march in front of us, you know, saying not very pleasant things. And there was a lot of um, news that was not, um, was very controversial, was not very pleasant. And obviously my family was here because we were not supportive of the regime because my dad was a Stanford graduate, because we um, believed otherwise. And that's why we hurried up and um, immigrated to the country. So to this country. So it was, it was not easy. It was very rough. Um, but it's something that I've kind of <laughs> moved on and it's somewhere in my memory bank. And uh, luckily, as a result, I um, have adapted to be very welcoming of many, many, many cultures and a lot of diversity. And I um, love this country for um, what it has brought for me and my family. And when you moved over, it was your parents. And did you have any siblings that came as well? Yeah, I have a younger sister, and so she was in elementary school, and um, she is now, I'm proud to say, that she is a um, Superior Court judge for Santa Clara County. Isn't that amazing? Um, and very impressive, I might say, as her sister. And um, yes, so she and uh, we were the t just two sisters, and we um, had very rough years earlier on but um, believed in education, believed in working hard. And she went to law school and I went to optometry school and she was a DA for Santa Clara County for a number of years. And then um, Governor Brown um, appointed her to judge for Santa Clara County a few years ago, a couple of years ago. Well, that's very interesting. And I can understand how it brings goosebumps back. That's, it's really what we all have to think about is, how do, how do we make everyone feel comfortable as we sort of assimilate here? And I'm glad you're here. You uh, have really become an important optometrist in our industry. But before you got into optometry, what pushed you toward optometry? That's a good question. So, um, again, it has a lot to do with um, upbringing and the culture and parents' education and all of that. So um, my parents were very strict and, in a way, old-fashioned uh, Persian family, and they were not, um, my dad was not very supportive of a young teenager daughter having a part-time job working somewhere. Somewhere, No, you're staying home. And um, a lot of my friends, high school friends, when I moved here, were working as hostesses and waitressing and, you know, restaurants or grocery store and all of that. And it was kind of fun for me to also have a little part-time side job. And every time I would bring up the idea that the response from dad was absolutely not. My daughter is not going to be working. You stay focused on your education <laughs> and um, homework and so on. And so it was a dead topic. But um, I graduated high school at age of 16 because uh, when I first came here, I skipped a couple of grades. That's another story. I was enrolled and then they pulled me out and they said another year, my science and math and all that was ahead of that. Um, grade and so I was um, in another grade for another two years and then another meeting with the parents and I was um, uh, pushed over to the next level. Long story short, I graduated at the age of 16 and I started college at 16 and I really now wanted a job because everybody was um, working and I went to the career center and there was a um, listing for a receptionist at an optometrist office. 
And um, and I thought, my dad might go for that. It's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just going to go and interview and see what happens. Plus, I like biology. I don't really want to go to the medical field route as far as hospitals and surgery and so on. But I think optometry sounds interesting. So it was a career fair and I went by the SCCO um, table and I um, got some information about optometry school and that together with the listing in the career placement office for an um, receptionist at a doctor's office, Dr. Richard Sarlett, great friend of mine in Irvine. Um, I um, thought this could be a good thing. So I interviewed with Richard Sarlett and I said, I'm thinking about this. I'm first year in college. I'm thinking this could be a good career for me. And um, I can do, you know, I can answer phones and be a receptionist. And so he liked me and he hired me. And like I said, we're still good friends. And um, I came home and I said the whole thing to my dad. I'm thinking about optometry. This sounds really interesting. And guess what? This doctor just gave me a job at $4.25 per hour. <laughs> that was minimum wage back then. Actually, it was more than minimum wage. $3.50 was minimum wage. So the optometrist gave me $4.25. Wow, that was great. And um, so... Um, my dad liked the idea of me working for a doctor, so said, what are the hours? I said, it has nothing to do with school, but it's a doctor's office. I'm going to learn a lot. I'm thinking about this as a career. And so I got his blessings to work, and I loved working in that office. I started answering phones, and then he trained me to do adjustments. I was doing tinting of the lenses in the back lab, you know, making them gradient and solid and so on. I was doing contact lens insertion and removal. Did all of that while I went to UC Irvine and studying biology all my undergrad years. And then um, I applied to optometry schools, and he met he had a meeting with me um, and said, okay, I, I am very supportive of education. I'm glad that you want to go to optometry school, but we just can't let you leave right now. <laughs> the office is doing great. You're doing great. So he offered me a full-time job as his office manager with a lot more pay, yes, because I was now his optician doing everything, uh, but I became the office manager and with a lot more pay. So I decided to take a gap year between um, optometry school and UC Irvine. I worked full time. I was doing, he was saying, you're doing everything short of doing refractions. So I was basically running the office and then I decided to, you know, I got to do this. Otherwise I'm going to regret it. So then I went to optometry school, obviously, obviously to University of Houston and then came back to California. So are you working with any women in optometry groups? I thought maybe you were associated with one of those. Yeah, so um, I'm actually on the board of uh, Women in Optometry, the jobs oh. group, Women in Optometry. I'm on, one, I'm on their board and a uh, very good group. I uh, do the marketing column because uh, of a lot of the unique uh, programs that I've done for my own practice in the last few years that I've opened it. We've done some unique um, things that people, optometrists, have asked me, uh, hey, you know, uh, what do you think of um, 
this program or that program and they'd like to copy some of these programs. So I just put it out there as um, options. So I work with Marjorie closely on uh, with jobs and uh, on the marketing column. Yeah. In fact, it reminds me we're due to do a new column. (laughs) Always a due date ahead. Always a due date ahead. Let's talk back outside of optometry. Are there certain hobbies or activities that give you and your family any joy? Oh, yeah. Um, So I have three daughters, and um, so they're kind of like my three BFFs right now. So we get to hang out and do a lot of things together. But honestly, um, I uh, love uh, house projects, and I don't mean – I don't mean – painting or building or those kind of things, but always redecorating, always, you know, touching up certain things. And um, now with my girls, just always being on the hunt for certain um, house uh, remodel uh, and renovation things. So that's fun. And um, entertaining, uh, socializing, entertaining, and then obviously sports-wise, Everyone knows me as a swimmer. I love to swim. So um, that's kind of like when I check out and go do my laps, it's nice. And everyone's like, you just bake yourself. You're always tan. I'm not baking myself out in the sun. It's just swimming that does this. So um, a little bit of everything, just shopping, doing what girls like to do. (laughs) What ages are your daughters? And How different is the life they have right now growing up than when you were that age? Yeah, that's a good topic to talk about. So um, my oldest is 24 and uh, middle one is 22 and the youngest one is 16 still in high school. My 24-year-old is getting her MBA right now and she started helping us a little bit here in the practice. She was working for Yelp for a while in San Francisco, but then... um, COVID and all that happened. So she started helping me in the office and now she's immersed in the practice full time. So um, I'm working on her MBA and uh, my middle one just graduated last week from Pepperdine in marketing and uh, she will be um, starting her new career path and to get experience for a couple of years and then apply for MBA. That's her path as well. And the youngest one is in high school and um, on swim team, obviously. And um, being um, happy doing what 16-year-olds do. But their life is quite different, Uh, you know, a lot more free. You know, they're driving. If they're, uh, what, 16-year-old can't get her license was going to be late for, I don't know, two weeks because of COVID restrictions and all of that. Uh, everything was going to uh, be upside down in her world. And I kept reminding her of what I went through when I was her age or when um, last year was a very difficult year for everyone. The pandemic was not easy, especially for our children. But um, I, I mean, they were probably very annoyed with me constantly saying, this is nothing compared to what I went through when I was 15 and 16 and 14 and just um, trying to, you know, get comfortable with the language and trying to make friends and being sad and depressed and and um, all the other challenges. This is nothing. You guys are home. You're on your internet and hanging out, doing FaceTime with friends and 
mom and dad around, whereas what we went through just kind of getting planted somewhere else and having to start from ground up. So life is very different for them and uh, than what I went through, obviously. Is there any chance that the last one follows you into optometry? My third daughter? I yeah. doubt it. No, in oh. fact, I think she's thinking law and, um, yeah, she's um, going to be shadowing my sister in the courtroom this summer, and she's um, um, showing a lot of interest in that. I don't think any of them are going to... Um, my, my oldest one, who's working full-time now, wants to... Um, do something with optometry in a business change type of a um, model, not actually practicing optometry as an optometrist, but bringing change to optometry, which is something that's very, um, uh, that, that her mom is very passionate about, I guess. So you were telling me that as you got back into practice and really got you know energized and engaged, you went ahead and took board certification examinations. Tell us about what that was like. It's not after I got into practice. There's a whole story there. So okay. what happened with boards is that, um, um, so my career path is that I went to obviously optometry school and came back and started working in an um, optometry practices. Actually, I worked for Allergan for a short time because I did externship at, out of optometry school at Allergan. And um, that externship opportunity referred me to an ophthalmologist office in Newport Beach, California. And I worked as an optometrist in that ophthalmology setting. I did all of the contact lenses and um, post um, RK back then and, you know, various um, challenging fits, keratoconus and so on. So I got very comfortable with contact lens fittings and uh, the ophthalmologist was an investigator for Allergan Medical Optics and the Array Multifocal IOL. So I was the primary investigator for that clinical study. And then I um, relocated, I got married, moved up to the Bay Area and just commuted back and forth for several months or almost a year actually to Southern California to continue with that project. And uh, then finally settled here, worked for a couple of different optometry practices, and then got recruited by Cooper Vision to um, um, basically be part of the clinical and professional services team. And then I was vice president of professional services at Cooper Vision and worked with a number of different doctors. And that whole, um, I want to say almost a decade that I was at Cooper Vision, I continued taking my um, CE courses and keeping up with renewing my um, uh, optometry license. Obviously, why wouldn't I? And um, at some point, I decided that I can go on inactive status. And inactive status, uh, because I'm not seeing patients, I think when I did that was when I left Cooper and I did the app, I was... Uh, working from home and I had to update my profile and it required number of 
hours or days in practice, something like that. And I was like, well, I'm not in practice. I wonder what I should put in active status. I called the State Board of Optometry. What does this mean? I don't want to let go of my license. No, you don't let go of your license. If you're not practicing right now, a lot of people for various reasons um, are not practicing. So they just go on the inactive status. I said, okay, fair enough. So I just updated my profile as inactive. And I used to get an envelope, like probably everyone did, every two years that we had to tear off the perforation and put $350, now $450 check and include it, put it in the envelope, put a stamp on it and send it in for license renewal every two years. Well, I wasn't getting that for a couple of years. And I thought, oh, that's perk of being inactive. I don't have to pay that. $400 because I'm inactive now. I'm not working in a clinic. I'm an entrepreneur now. I'm working on this patent. And so I don't have to pay that. That's my excuse, I guess. So I did not renew my license. I didn't pay that $400. Opportunity presented itself for me to go back to practice this place where I'm at. I signed the lease. And my husband was going on a business trip to Italy, and I decided to tag along with him uh, prior to right before to opening practice. Sitting at the airport at SFO, I decided to call the state board because I had like a three-hour window of doing nothing at the airport. We had a delay. Let me call the state board and let them know that I want to go back to active status now. I have all my CEs I've been taking, so I should pay that $350, be back to active because I've signed lease now. And very comfortably, I talked to the state board receptionist, and I gave my name, and they said, uh, doctor, you are, you don't have a license. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, call me back, check into this. I've been inactive. And they said, yeah, okay, we'll call you back. Literally sitting at SFO, I get a call back 10 minutes later from the powers B, and an authority person explained to me that for two cycles, I have not paid $350. Therefore, my license has expired and I cannot be practicing anywhere. I don't have a license. Yeah. How do you like that look on your face? Imagine me getting on a plane to go to Italy for a vacation and I've signed a lease which is illegal. You can't sign a lease if you don't. I can't believe I'm publicly saying this if you don't have a license, but I didn't know that I don't have a license. I assume that I have an inactive yeah. license. So, um, so uh, obviously, lots of tears and, and crying, and what does this mean? Well, you have to go take boards again. Are you kidding me? Take boards? Uh, how could this be? Yes, you have to take boards. Now three hours has passed and I'm boarding the flight. I'm arguing with my husband. I'm not getting on that flight. <laughs> so TMI here. <laughs> anyway, so I went on the plane and obviously I stopped my way through Italy and um, I, it was not uh, a lot of fun. And I came back and okay, I'll take the boards. Fine. It was actually the clinical part. But where do you go to practice to get ready to do injections, to do everything else that we need to do, old-fashioned lensometry that no one has done for so long, prism reading and and everything else, just so many um, taking boards with 
you know, proctors and all that. So it was a big challenge. Uh, I could not practice in my optometry school, University of Houston or Berkeley or anywhere because you're not enrolled in a program. Uh, I didn't have a practice to go and line up family to use slit lamp and for opters and do what I, whatever you have to do. But the challenges and hurdles of what I had to do in order to uh, pass boards is a much longer story and we won't need to go there, but it was a miserable, miserable experience. Um, but I, uh, went through it and, uh, luckily got my license back. Uh, many friends said, why do you want to do this? You've been on the corporate side. You could get a job with the industry. You've been an entrepreneur. You've done the app. There's opportunities there, but are you kidding me? I'm an optometrist. I want my license. With or without practice, I need to have my license. So I might I put my mind to it, and I did it. It was uh, probably one of the biggest challenges of my life. I did it, and I'm very proud of it. And therefore, in the practice and seeing patients every day, I'm very proud of it. You should be immensely proud of it. I know it was a very bad time for a while, but there are very few of us that could go back through doing what you did and be successful and you should be proud of that and equally proud is i'm sure your experience with being a technology entrepreneur you started a mobile software app called iExam and i'd like to have you tell the story of when it started and what got you to go down that path yeah that's a good story and, and that's how i met you right scott was uh, the iXam app, so it really brought some good um, friendships and conversations and uh, opportunities uh, for me. So um, after I left Cooper Vision, I, I took a little bit of time off to decide what I want to do. Do I want to go back to practice? Do I want to open my own practice, join another friend's practice, um, or be a mom for a while? I had my girls were much younger back then, and I used to travel quite a bit for Cooper Vision and had this guilt feeling that I haven't been home. So maybe just take some time off. So during that summer, essentially, that I was home with the girls and um, taking them to the park or um, Starbucks and just running around doing errands and all that, I was noticing, observing um, friends, other moms who were um, obviously on their phones a lot and just kind of doing this early presbyopes, the early, the, the young moms, and just doing this to try to text or read an email or something like that. And as an optometrist, my um, comment back was, you really need to get some glasses have you had your eyes they said oh no no did you know you could magnify the font and you could make it bigger and i don't need to do that well yeah okay i'm glad you can cheat that way but you do need glasses um, well i really don't my vision is really good or i would comment what about johnny here you know i've noticed he's been squinting or so-and-so is wearing mismatched socks and um have you thought about uh, an eye exam and then the next question was i don't even know where to go should i go to the mall or costco or what should i do lens crafters um and then i would say well you probably have good insurance and go to one of the providers on your insurance i don't even know if we have insurance and the, all of those conversations were going on meanwhile they were being here in silicon valley everyone was very 
technology-oriented and very app-oriented and for doing multiplication math facts to making the next travel uh, family trip or something like that. They were downloading labs, uh, apps uh, left and right. And I thought, why don't we have an app that is for the iWorld so that it's a hook to, um, for the consumer, for the mom, for the, um, you know, dad, for anyone to just um, engage with the eye care ecosystem by having this app on their phone. Like if they think that they might need glasses or if they think that they should schedule an eye exam for their child, you know, go to this destination app and do everything you need to do there. And the hook I wanted it, I wanted literally to get them hooked was to demonstrate that uh, more than likely you're not at 2020 mark. You are probably 2025, even if you think that you have good vision or 20, um, 40, 80, 100, or many other things, color vision issues or Mac degeneration and AMD issues and so on. So I wanted to have a screening app so that the consumers can learn a little bit about their eyes. We were Apple Watch or Fitbit and all that to know about everything else about us. But what about our eyes? We know nothing um, as a way of a screening. So I was excited about this idea. I wrote the specs for the app at hired a developer out of MIT who was referred to me. He was a genius and he coded the app. We uploaded it or he uploaded it on the Apple store at midnight one night. And basically I got an email that uh, the app um, has been uploaded. A um, couple weeks later, 10 days later, I, we got a notification that it has been approved and ready for download. Before I had a chance to put it on my phone as the inventor founder of the app we noticed that we had like 2800 downloads 2712 to be exact that number stays in my mind over just a matter of a couple of hours and there was a link on the app um, that was a doctor finder the idea was that okay people will find this then they go to the doctor finder to schedule an appointment that doctor finder could be dr jens or dr irabani anyone who wants to be in the app. Um, these early users of the app immediately gave us a review um, and said, love the app, the screening is great, but the link to the doctor finder is broken. And um, because we didn't have a doctor list and the idea was to one by one sign up doctors. So um, quickly we um, reached out to good friends at Vision Source and then later on VSP. And uh, we uploaded the um, app with uh, the number of doctors and appointments, uh, appointment booking was happening, but it wasn't integrated with uh, the EHR systems. And that's why you and I started talking to integrate the app with the EHR. But that was basically the story of how um, and why I decided to go down that, that route of uh, developing an app. The, new patient acquisition i remember from back when i was in practice was the biggest challenge patient retention was the next biggest challenge and to actually be able to have a method and a platform to grab patients or sitting anywhere 
um, and engaging with them and then sending them reminders, notifications, and so on to retain them in the practice, I thought would be a great tool. I still think it's a great tool. <laughs> so, Well, that's, that's the interesting part is you weren't trying to do an eye exam away from an eye doctor. You, what always impressed me was you were trying to educate and inform the patient and take the next step of trying to connect them to a doctor. And so I sense that in the next 10 years, we're going to get to a point where the patient's even more in control and maybe even selective about from whom they access eye care. Is the idea as good as ever? And, and, and where does the technology sit today? Does it still live? Is it, what, what have you done with it? Yeah, so um, I think this technology was ahead of its time. Uh, about eight, ten years ago, literally, is when I did this. And many would challenge me and would say, you think everyone's going to have an iPhone? Really? Yes, really. Everyone's going to have an iPhone <laughs> or some sort of a smartphone. Um, and But there was a lot of pushback as far as if the consumer is going to have an iPhone, if the consumer is going to be that app oriented to download the app and then um, our industry was not embracing it and was feeling that um, the screening could replace an eye exam and literally it was like going against Niagara Falls trying to um, discuss and pour passion and bleed and explain that, no, this is not an online refraction. This is your friend. This is to bring patients in the door, people who are in denial. Even our industry did think about your eyes. And I remember we were talking, a few optometrists were talking, okay, there is such a great um, campaign about think about your eyes book an appointment okay i'm thinking about my eyes what now how do i do that at 10 o'clock at night when i see this tv ad that says think about your eyes and i'm not on my computer or i'm not necessarily the office is not closed for me to call them but if it was an app that from there you could find the uh, aoa members or the vision source members the vsp providers some list and i can find someone in my zip code and find that doctor and book an appointment that would be a good thing because it was an action to that um call uh, so it was definitely ahead of its time and that's why it faced a lot of resistance and um that's why as an um founder i um was i think i was getting uh, was diagnosed by bipolar <laughs> one day i was excited about an opportunity the other day i was depressed that it's not going anywhere so i um really had to take a step back and say i'm just spinning my tail here and spending a lot of personal funds in babysitting an app that i'm so passionate about but i need to go back in the lane as i just uh, said to you earlier in our conversation and start um, seeing patients and doing what I'm passionate about. So that's uh, that's the past. And yes, I strongly believe that uh, there will be a day, not too far from now, hopefully, that the consumer will do something like this in order to engage uh, with the eye care ecosystem, that they'll say, hmm, I think I need an eye exam. And just like, hmm, I think we need to go on a trip. Let's download Expedia. Let's go to TripAdvisor and do everything from 
your hotel to car rental to looking at sightseeing to making your restaurant reservations i think the eye care ecosystem needs that where you think something about your eyes and you do an at home screening and then you book your appointment you look at reviews of products you educate yourself about conditions and brands and products and so on and it's just the whole um complete go-to destination app is the best way that I can explain it. Someday well, it will happen, Scott. It will happen. I believe it. And, and I think that if there are apps that people put on their phones that turn on a microphone and listen to them snore at night and then gives them a measurement and suggests you need care for this, that there is a time and place, and you were early, uh, but there is a time and place coming for this kind of a thing. It doesn't replace an eye exam. You never purported it to replace an eye exam. Never. You were as pure of an, your effort was as pure as any could have been to help educate patients to not just think about their eyes to the way you said it, but to do something about it. Yes. And, um, and, and ultimately, what you ended up doing was saying, all right, well, I'll do something about that. I'm going to get back in the lane. So you built your practice that leverages technology. Are you feeling like your patients come in and they could use some education? I mean, you have a very technologic practice. How is that going? Love it. It's great. And really, my passion is modernizing optometry, I guess. If one would say, what what would you like? I mean, besides swimming and shopping and socializing with girlfriends, which I mentioned earlier. But really, um, I, I, I'm constantly thinking how to... Uh, deliver a newer experience to my patients. And um, luckily, patients have um, received it really well. The practice is only three and a half years old, but we've done really, really well in the last three and a half years. Um, we were um, just uh, looking at the BSB report. Uh, we were three times California average. Um, so that was great for a brand new practice. So I was proud of that. And a lot of it is the technology from uh, walking in and checking in using um, certain iPad checking um, stations that we have to uh, adopting other technology tools for my staff to manage what they're doing. And um, just the whole experience for the patient has been a little bit different than traditional optometry and i think where i am geographically located in silicon valley this has been a breath of fresh air because the google employer employees and facebook employees and apple employees are all my patients in this zip code they walk in and they're like oh wow okay so they like it i don't want to compliment but they like it and then one thing that we've uh, adopted uh thanks to covid i guess i took a little virus called COVID uh, for us to push that, it, for, for it to push us in that era is uh, telemedicine and, um, and doing virtual visits and virtual consults and it uh, has been great for us and perhaps that's why we were uh, three times the California average this last uh, um, year 
so we launched what's called iZam Virtual. So uh, we partnered with a um, telemedicine company, GenieMD, and they're one of the leading companies in telehealth. And the patented technology for visual acuity screening is now plugged into the telemedicine platform from GenieMD. And so I'm able to virtually see my patients and take care of many things that you can without having a foropter. Um, so we can do asynchronous visits and synchronous visits. And so that's a whole other area and um, huge opportunity for optometry. As always on the cutting edge, Dr. Nikki Irvani, it's been wonderful to have you as a guest on Sandbox Stories and I hope you keep pushing the envelope. Thank you. Thanks so much, Scott, for the opportunity. This was great. I love your stories. And to the audience, I hope you enjoyed them too. Thanks for attending. And until Thanks. my next Sandbox story, be great at all you Thank do. You, Scott.